Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're very kindly joined by Cullen Colross, who is the CEO and founder of Immortal. Colin, thank you very much for being on the podcast this morning. Good morning, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you about um, a really concerning issue for families that they're not aware of. So over to you, Jonathan. So it, I think it's quite fitting, actually. I, I saw some comments uh, that this morning that um, 2021 is going to be the golden age for UK tech. And looking at Immortal and their offering, I think this is going to be one of the company companies very much at the forefront um, of this push. So, Colin, before we go into the details of um, why you're here in terms of discussing um, your crowdfunding um, pitch, would you be able to give us some some background on Immortal and the problem that you're trying to solve at the moment? Yeah, I think I think it's quite important to understand where I come from. Um, myself, my first job when I was a much younger and, may I say, thinner man, I was a a London fireman. And I saw life at its very worst. I saw people deal with the most horrendous things. And what was fascinating, um, people didn't worry about losing their house or their their possessions in a fire, but they really cared about losing their family memories. And that stuck with me. I wasn't quite sure of the relevance, but we'll come back to that later on. But I started life as a London fireman, saving lives for real. I now feel I have the perfect opportunity to save our virtual lives or the lives of that of our family and our stories. And I think that's very relevant today. And again, we'll come back to that more in the future. And for the last 10 years, I have been working on a product called Immortal. Um, and it's all about stories. It's about saving the story of our family life together and passing on our memories generation after generation. So this is obviously a problem, as you mentioned there, um, on, on saving our, our digital past. It's something that's been uh, a, a topic uh, for for some years within uh, the, the internet. Of course, there's always questions about what happens to your digital presence uh, when you die. And, and your product here is is setting out to sort of look at saving your, uh, your past whilst you're still alive. But would you be able to give us a bit of background about how you're setting out to, uh, to do this? Okay, well, it's actually... Um, a really concerning problem that most people are not aware of. And to describe it very simply, as technology moves on, and it moves on really rapidly, Jonathan, I mean, you know, I've got an iPhone 10 in my hand, and I can tell you it's already starting to clunk and whir and lose its life. And that's just a hardware issue. But in very simple terms, as technology moves on, old content, old file formats, our pictures, videos, audio recordings and documents they get left behind. And during our lifetime, in as little as one or two decades, it will be virtually impossible, if not, you know, absolutely no way you can retrieve your memories because the operating system, the hardware, the licenses, the software, the codex, everything you need to open that file will have been left behind. And you're simply going to get a pop-up that says, file not recognized, can't open it. And our memories are at real risk of being lost forever. And that is science fact. 
It's not science fiction. This is a very real problem, and it will actually catch us all. So the, the relevance of, of, of this issue um, has actually attracted some quite significant figures in the history of the internet um, to, to Immortal. Would you be able to tell us about the involvement of, of Vince Cerf, who was one of the founding fathers of the, uh, of the internet? Yeah, Vince Cerf. Um, I'll be honest, I had no idea who he was until 2015. Um, sitting at home, working very hard on this project. I'd been, you know, pretty much working hard on it for five years at that point. And up on the BBC um, came a, the BBC's tech correspondent, Palab Ghost. And in there was a piece by a chap by the name of Vinton Cerf. Uh, Vint Cerf is known as the co-creator and one of the founding fathers of the internet. He's currently VP and chief internet evangelist at Google. He has more letters behind his name than I have in my name. So this is a very globally respected person, and certainly from a tech perspective. When he came on the BBC saying that our memories were going to disappear and he'd ha he had a solution for that, I'll be honest, Jonathan, I saw a little tear in my eye and thought, oh, my God, Google are coming in. We're out. It's all over. And once I got over my panic attack, I thought, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to call the guy up. I'm going to tell him what I've been thinking about, what we've been working on and just you know, what's the guy going to say? So I did try and call him up and uh, I got very politely lost um, in the Google switchboard. And so I thought, you know, someone that famous had to have um, Vint at blah, blah, blah. So I sent him an email and much to my surprise, five minutes later, and I kid you not, Jonathan, five minutes later, my phone rang and there was a guy saying, hi, it's Vint Cerf. Um, astonishingly, I didn't believe it was him. I have some friends who we play some lots of great tricks on each other and it keeps us all alive. I actually asked the guy who created the internet, the founding father of the internet, or one of the founding fathers, if I could call him back, and I did. And that was in 2015. What started as a quite a blunt sort of um, approach on my, my part became mentorship on his part. It moved into him taking a huge advisory role um, in helping us develop our product. And Vint is actually now invested in our business and has become an advocate for what we do and he has taken time out away from his you know, everyday job at Google to actually help us build what he believes to be the first commercially viable and sustainable solution to something which is called bit rot. And bit rot is a technical term for the long-term degradation of our content over time, digital obsolescence. And he has worked tirelessly with us to make sure that we stay on task and we deliver on our promise to customers. And the relevance of this gets greater because I have to tell you, Jonathan, throughout these unprecedented times, as we hear people constantly say, but for me, watching people pass, uh, and that's been personal for me as well, involving family members, watching people not able to connect with each other Seeing nurses on television, you know, reading people their last memories was devastating for me personally because I had in my pocket and very close to market the solution to making sure that when we pass on, when we lose loved ones, 
that our memories, all the time spent together, never disappear. So for me, the relevance and resonance of what we have today, especially post-COVID-19 and what's happened with a global pandemic, is so important that I am itching to get this product in market. So the, the product and, and obviously the opportunity that yourself has seen and, and, and Vince obviously saw um, is really this connection with, with our, our memories. Of course, as you mentioned there, when you were a, a firefighter, um, it, it was recorded in uh, you know, physical format with, with photos. It's now very much on online, but this, there's still the same connection there um with uh with our memories there i mean how does that sort of stem into the business of immortal and, and where did you really when did you get the, the light bulb moment um in, in terms of immortal and setting it up okay well like most people when the digital world came around you know i'm old enough i'm i'm 57 nearly 58 so i come from an analog world which has now become digital and a lot of people are now in what they call the born digital age I was pretty convinced that this new digital era would be the answer to previous generations suffering memory loss. You know, where, and you know, history history testament to the fact that most of us don't really know much about our past um, after one generation, let alone two. But if you actually take time to look at it, I can promise you there are our memories are more at risk today than they are digital memories. That is, than our analog memories ever were. There are so many multi-dependent layered issues around codec licenses operating systems hardware firmware software i mean the the list goes on and on and on and if that jigsaw is missing one piece and one piece will disappear very quickly another piece will fall off the edge and so on and so forth nothing plays back but it's not just about the digital problem and the real problem that our memories are going to disappear. And if if people are listening to this going, well, that's not right. I've got, you know, I've got my memories up in, on uh, Google's uh, cloud or, or iCloud or, you know, I've got it up in Amazon AWS. I've got it on Dropbox. I've got it on my hard drive. Yes, you have, but none of it will last. The bits and bytes, the ones and zeros that you put up in the cloud, yes, they will be there. Yes, they will come back in exactly the same format you put them up. But in 10, 20 years from now, that format will no longer be recognized and won't play back. And that's the problem from a technical perspective. But add to that that if we all press on a button, we all press a button that says, yes, we accept the terms and conditions of whoever we've got a contract with, be it free or paid. What we don't look at is the small print. None of us do. And the fact is, take time to look at it, and you will find that when you die, your family will be locked out and prevented from accessing those memories. There may be an opportunity to have someone memorialize, for instance, your Facebook page. The bottom line is, those memories are locked out and will not play back and are not accessible by your family. And the, the nightmare goes on and on. And I wanted to make sure that we changed all that. Because I believe that family is something very special. I believe that family matters are very private. And I simply believe that if we can save just what matters, not every picture or video we take, but the moments in our life that really matter, if we can pass on not just those moments, 
but our understanding, our knowledge, our morals, our values. If we can actually put that into context, if we can make memories more than just moments in a shoebox, even a digital shoebox, if we can turn that into something really valuable and pass it on to our kids and they pass it on to their kids, they have the benefit of standing on the on the shoulder shoulders of previous generations. They have more knowledge. They have more self-awareness. They have a better sense of who they are. They are able to solve more problems. And my point is, our memories are much more than just connections with the past. They help us to make better decisions. They make us feel good about ourselves. And I guarantee you, during these COVID-19 lockdown times, just about everyone has taken time to look at their memories, to remember the past, because it is remembering the good times that helped to get us through the bad times and being connected to our family today, tomorrow, and in the future is really important. Now, you asked me one more question, Jonathan, which was, where did the idea come from? This started as a very personal journey for me, and and it's a story, and this is all about stories, so it makes sense to start telling you ours. My daughter, Jules, age three, was diagnosed with uh, leukemia. Now, that is one of the most frightening words you'll ever hear. Cancer, it is, especially when it's a kid. I have to be honest, Jonathan, I was... I was, as my as my brother-in-law said, like a packet of McVitie's biscuits on the outside that had been dropped off the shelf. You know, I fell apart. And the one thing I could not reconcile was if I lost my daughter, I never wanted to lose her memory. And that is where the idea of Immortal came from, a very personal journey. But that in itself is not a commercial business. And when I looked at the problem, when I looked at what happens in death, when I realized what was happening to our memories during our life, I thought, you know what, I've got to solve this because this is a ticking time bomb. And I have to be honest, the last, the past 20 years, where people have gone build fast, you know, grab all your big data, who cares about losing stuff, who cares about privacy, all of those things which I don't believe in, have come to fruition. And we are now ready to go to market. And I think people are ready and understand the importance of privacy, the importance of connecting with family, the importance of sharing what matters with only those you love. Indeed. So, Colin, of course, there's a deeply personal uh, message there, but which uh, a lot of the listeners will be able to relate to. And now I want to move on to your your Crowdcube uh, page, because this is, this is something that, of course, you, you mentioned there there's been significant R&D and, and you've had um, Vince Cerf involved which of course put some some money into the business but you're now looking at, at further expansion and you're doing this uh, initially at this point in time with a crowdfunding um, pitch on Crowdcube. You had a one million pound target which you've already surpassed. You're looking um, at a secured fund so far of about 1.6 million but you're hoping to raise some more. Colin, why have you, you chosen um, Crowdcube as your channel for raising funds for Immortal? Um, it's, a, it's a really straightforward answer, really. Um, I wanted to make sure that I, if you like, democratised immortality, made, made this service available 
to every tech-enabled family across the globe. Now, if you think about it, the rich and the famous, the kings and the queens of this world, they all have their lives recorded for them by the media. They have this wonderful, rich history. And that that's also what gives them that slight edge and that wonderful air that they have. And I, you know, I have touch royalty every now and then, at a distance, I might say, Jonathan, but it's amazing. They have a they have a tremendous sense of self. And the reason for going via Crowdcube was twofold. I wanted to make sure that every man had the opportunity to invest in Immortal in little amounts, you know, to build up um, a community also of loyal customers. This, I know, I didn't. Of course, we could have gone down the VC route. Of course, we could have gone the institutional route. But from day one, all of the investment in this company has come from family and friends. And that's some 4.2 million invest in the business to date. A lot of people believe in this. And I want to make sure, insofar as we can, that we build this business based on the people who it's going to benefit, based on families, and make sure that we do this in the right way. And that's the reason for going via Crowdcube. Crowdcube is a fantastic, or crowdfunding, is a fantastic way to get customers who are investors, who become advocates, who become loyal users, and grow our business organically. And that's the best way to start it before we go out to the masses in Q3, 4 this year in both the UK and USA. And what's great about things like crowdfunding is that you can get involved in this business from as little as £10. And the people who tend to get involved in crowdfunding, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to buy some highly priced uh, FTSE-based, um, you know, stock certificate. They don't want to make rich people richer. What they want to do is to get involved in a brand at basement level, get involved a business they believe in, and be part of the journey. So, as always, um, regular listeners to the the podcast will, will know um, that we always put a link to the Crowdcube page of anybody that's discussing their campaign. So anybody listening to this and wants to find out some more, do check out the notes to the podcast and you'll be able to find a link there through to the Immortal page on, uh, on Crowdcube. So Colin, I just want to go into a little more detail on the raids. As I mentioned there, you had an initial target of 1 million. Um, you very quickly surpassed that. You're looking at around 1.6 million at this point in time, but you're looking for some more. You're, you're looking up to, to 3 million. And what's the, what's the reason for that when you only had a, a initial target of 1 million? Um, again, um, we knew that the target of 1 million was probably very low. Um, we we'd looked into this and believed that there would be a lot of interest and it's proven that there has been. The whole point of, of setting the new goal of three is not because we're greedy. If we get to three million, that will be matched by the UK government have a scheme at the moment uh, in trying to back tech startup companies in the UK called the Future Fund. And if we get to three million, the UK government will match that with another three that will give us six million, and six million gives us all the money we need to scale the business to launch it in both the UK and USA in Q4 later this year to go all the way through to a viable company. And why am I excited about that? That means that people who invest today 
will see this company very likely go all the way to market, getting in at the right level, and will reap the benefits of putting their faith, trust, and money behind that, this company. And what that does is that avoids us having to go necessarily out to institutions. And don't get me wrong, I, I, you know, I don't have a, a big negative about you know, venture capital companies, etc. But I do have a real desire to make sure that the, the people who I'm trying to help, every family, are the people who should invest in this business. And that's the reason we know it's, uh, it's causing a lot of noise out there in the market. We know there's the opportunity to get to 3 million. So we're going to go for it. We encourage people who buy into this opportunity to try and help us out. Of course, like every investment, there are risks and all of that is, is very clearly laid out on the Crowncube platform. And for me, it would just, I've got to be honest, I, I would have a big smile on my face knowing that we got to where we needed to get to from a financial position funded by the very people we're trying to help. I hope that makes sense, Jonathan. It does. It does. It does. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons, as we've touched on in previous podcasts, uh, that people do get involved with, with the crowdfunding and, of course, being a part of that journey of something that they're uh, going to be using as well is, is, a big, uh, is a big part of that. So just, just want to move on now, Colin, and, and sort of look at the, at the market, the business, um, you know, competitors out there. There's lots of different um, aspects to this that investors will want to know about um, if they're going to be considering putting some uh, some funds into you. So I think one of the one of the big questions that people would have is why hasn't this been done by some of the big tech companies out there already? Of course, I mean we mentioned um, at the cloud. So, you know, there's obviously Dropbox out there. There's, there's Google that has. Um, big operations there. Why haven't they come up with a solution to this problem yet? Okay, a couple of things to mention here. Um, one I forgot, and I hold my hand, I forgot here. Uh, all of this is put in great detail on the crowdcube.com site under the immortal pitch. But way back in uh, 2010, when we were still developing this idea, Microsoft, uh, there's a huge um, company for you. In fact, I can tell you in 2010, they controlled 95% of the installed uh, desktop base worldwide, how, how things have changed over the last um, 10 or so years. But Microsoft actually made an offer for the idea, just for the idea for Immortal, of $12.1 million. And on top of that was $3 million development fund to actually complete the, uh, the, the initial product development. Now, why would Microsoft offer money for a product that was developed in their code that they could do themselves. And the simple answer is it's the same for Microsoft, same for Google, same for Amazon, same for any of the big tech companies who may look to acquire us in the future. This is not, at its core, an engineering problem. This is not something that software developers, who are effectively called geeks, um, can actually solve. The big problems are not engineering-based. You know, saving bits of information over long periods of time is not rocket science, etc., etc. The big problem here is about creating the commercial model and creating all of the legal, protocol, principle, ethics, rights, access, all of the things around this problem which create even bigger problems for family. That 
is what we've spent a lot of time and effort developing. And that is why they would look at businesses like ourselves. Because what's interesting about, say, a Google or a Microsoft or an Amazon or any of the big tech players, they build and grow their businesses now through acquisition. What they actually do is find people like ourselves who've come up with a solution, which is not about buying your technology stack. You know, big tech don't buy tech because they can do tech. What they buy are people who have solved real human problems that will scale, that solve a real need. And if that need is emotionally based, if that content is incredibly valuable, and if there is a business which is scalable, it becomes very attractive. And you should also, if you go into this, note any of the big products that any of the big players have, you know, Microsoft and Google, most of the wonderful products that they are known for, they didn't develop themselves. Someone else did, and they acquired it. And we have the same opportunity because we solve a problem that, you know, none of them have spent enough time looking at. None of them have got a resolution to. And the reason that Vint Cerf, amongst others, I may say, got very, very excited about what we had developed was the commercial model that we've put behind um, our business and the fact that we have a digital legacy fund that grows and is independent to our to our everyday business. We've got a digital legacy fund that grows over time. And when you die, that digital legacy fund kicks in and pays for your family's digital vault to be maintained in perpetuity. Hence why we say immortal, so it's digital immortality, and your life saved, the fund pays for whatever you put into immortal to be there for generations to come. Fantastic. So this is, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, a, a problem that has been um, evident for, for some time now, and, and it's probably a, a problem that's going to only increase going forward. So are there any other competitors that are, that are moving into this space at the moment, Colin? I have spent, it's a good question, Jonathan. I spent, it comes up again, lots. I spent the last 10 years watching so-called um, companies, you know, I'm not going to name names, but watching companies come into this market saying we're going to look after your memories and we're going to uh, make sure that they never disappear. And I, I monitor the market very carefully. Um, and astonishingly, I've watched them all come in thinking they haven't solved the core problem. They're, they're, they're making lots of emotional messages and, they're, and they're, they're, they're doing it. Most people, for the same reasons I did it, they've had some sort of personal experience which has driven them into saving their memories. Um, but none of them had approached the big problem. And the big problem is it's not going to play back in the future. The big problem is not putting it in a box. The big problem is not putting it up in the cloud. That's the easy bit. The big problem is how do you pay for the continuous, non-stop upgrading and updating of everything around the bits and bytes themselves, which gives you the ability to play it back in the future. And that has been missing from every model I have seen to date. And that is the big difference we make. We're the only people who have actually come up with a commercially viable, 
sustainable proposition, which involves two parts of the business, really. First, we have proprietary um, preservation technology, which takes your file, its original format, and we convert it to the latest open source formats so that in the future, it will always play back on any device anywhere in the future because it will always be contemporary with the latest technology. And then secondly, attached with that in the background is the, is the Immortal Digital Legacy Fund, which, as I say, is a community fund, builds up over time. The fund is invested. It generates enough interest after your death for us to pay for the continuance of whatever you put in Immortals Vault thereafter. And those are the fundamental issues that no one else has dealt with. And yes, there are people who will say, you know, you, we can put your documents in order and should something happen, you've got an end of life sort of document lockbox. And we have that. And yes, there are some people who will allow you to leave video messages, etc. We have a combination, a very rich feature set that is all interlinked, that all knits together. But most importantly, underneath that, is a business which is designed to make it possible you, for the first time ever, to protect, preserve, and pass on what matters. And no one else has that model. So, yes, there are com perceived competitors in the market, but no one has solved the biggest problem insofar as we are aware in the way that we have done it. And that's why people like Vint Cerf, and that's why people like Microsoft are very interested in what we're doing. Fantastic, Colin. So just to finish off now, and we have discussed it in some detail before you you, you alluded to reasons why um, larger tech companies would be looking at uh, solutions like this. But for people that are in investing or potentially investing in your rounds on, on Crowdcube would be interested in your views on where you see an exit opportunity for them in the future. Okay, I mean... <laughs> You shouldn't invest. Firstly, I'd say don't ever invest in a business if you don't expect to see a return on that investment. Um, that would be crazy. That's the number one thing. And there's a number of opportunities open to us. Firstly, we've got a unique business. I, I truly believe that. But people have to make their own decisions about that. And as I say, there are discussion groups. There are updates. There's a whole bunch of documents available on crowdcube.com uh, for people to get very comfortable with the detail behind this. But my my belief is that you know, getting into 2022 and onwards into 23, when we actually um, make money as a business, because we make money at very low numbers of users um, very quickly, um, we have opportunities to IPO the business. We know there are opportunities for big tech sector interest in terms of acquisition. And we could stay private. There's so many things we could do. But I think the most important thing I could sum up with um, Jonathan, in terms of what does that mean for investors? Yes, I'm the founder. Yes, I'm the CEO. But we have always been very conscious of one thing. It is investors and their money that has helped us grow this business and will help us go to market. And it is they and not I who make the decision as to when the business sells and what we do, because it is under investor control. You know, I'm not, dare I mention his name, I'm not a Zuckerberg with a golden ticket who uh, wants to keep control of his business at all costs. I'm a guy who understands that it's investors' money and my job as founder 
as the CEO is to maximize that return on investment. And of course, you know, be aware, anything you invest in, your money's at risk. And the same goes for this. But I promise you, and I promise investors, this is very personal for me. I have worked on this for 10 years. And unless someone cuts me in half and spreads me across the country, I am not going to give up on something which is fundamentally so important to families. And you know, the funny thing is, in all the years we've been developing this, people get it. People don't go, ah, but I can do that somewhere else. And we know that this is something very different. We know that timing is everything, and it couldn't be better for us. Privacy, ownership of content, COVID-19, the list goes on about how the timing is perfect. And I'm excited about the future. And anyone who is interested in investing, uh, anyone can come onto the, you know, crowdcube.com, register. They can ask me any question they want, and I will get back to them as quick as I can. And we're looking to close in about the next 10 or 15 days or so. We've got lots of followers, so lots of people are have got in there, put a little tickle in, and are waiting and for the, for the rush. Um, and I look forward to to having more investors. Indeed, indeed. I mean, as, as you mentioned there, I think one of the most exciting things about this business is the first mover advantage. It doesn't seem to be a competitor out there on the market. So um, for anybody invest, interested in investing, do go and uh, check out the Crowdcube page. And there will be a link to that page in the, uh, in the notes of this podcast. So, Colin, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. Jonathan, Thanks again. Uh, I look forward to actually catching up with you in hopefully in the not too long future um, when we're on our way to market. It would be nice to give your investors an update as to how we're progressing and what's going on. And I look forward to having your investors hopefully involved in the business. Thanks for time, Jonathan. Of course. And I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, this this is touted to be a big year for, for UK tech. And I do think what's happening at uh, Immortal you're going to be very much part of that. So, of course, we'll be uh, looking for some updates in the future. So, Colin, once more, thank you very much for, for joining the podcast. Fingers crossed, Jonathan, and thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast, and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.